You are joining Making a Difference with Melissa Clark, a new show that shares the compelling stories and voices of well-known and everyday people who change the world in big and small ways. Enjoy our guests. Call in or just listen to be inspired for this show was made with you in mind. Please join us every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with our special guests. And you can listen to our recast at www.melissaclarkshow.com. Thank you so much for joining us here on Making a Difference. I'm Melissa Clark. You know, whenever I have a chance to interview a fellow animal advocate, I get so happy because we discuss the same passion, the love, care, and well-being of animals. Dr. Pamela Mills is not only an animal advocate, but her and her husband are on the board of SAVE, a nonprofit, no-kill homeless shelter. Dr. Mills is a retired homeopathic physician and author. Her book, At Home in Princeton, Entertaining with Four Paws, is an amazing table read, which includes how to entertain and delicious recipes. Dr. Mills was recently featured in Preferred Health Magazine's Best in Medicine, Edition 2020. Please head over to preferredhealthmagazine.com and subscribe today. You can request a copy of the book at patientpreferredphysician.com. Enjoy. Dr. Mills, we are so happy to have you on today. Thank you so much for your time. You look gorgeous. Oh, thank you. So do you. Thank you very much. I, I can't wait to get uh, into our conversation. Really love the fact that you're into animals and so am I, but I want to start with your career. Um, you spent over four decades in the medical field. Uh, when did you learn that you wanted to practice medicine and help others? Oh, probably when I was about three years old. Oh, wow. I mean, I can, I can't remember when I was two, but I'm pretty sure I can remember when I was about between three and four. And of course, I was brought up in the highlands of Scotland, way mm -hmm. uh, up in the hills, the moors, as we call it, um, and overlooking Loch Ness, I might say, which is very picturesque and beautiful and safe. Wow. And, uh, you know, I mean, you could play for hours and nobody, you know, there was nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. And of course, lots of animals. But um, I used to, my grandmother uh, used to tear up sheet, you know, her old sheets mm -hmm. and my bandages. So I had a homemade kit, you know, with, you know, old sheets that were torn up. And I used to make uh, lotions and potions out of mud. <laughs> it was the days when you played in mud. Yes. <laughs> um, my father would, get some sticks and sharpen them and these were my needles and so a lot most of the relatives were older and of course you know their stories were fascinating so every night we have stories I have stories rather and of course I have books read to me all the time but I wasn't an avid reader of books I was I, I was always you know uh, playing with dolls and you know bandaging them up and you know making all sorts of my grandmother was I didn't know this, by the way, a great, great grandmother. Mm -hmm. She was a homeopath and didn't even know it because she was always making, uh, you know, like garden, from the garden, she had some beautiful herbs and plants that she made into all sorts of concoctions. And um, 
she was probably homeopathically orientated, but you know, nobody knew it. <laughs> wow. Did, did you feel like you wanted to help these elderly people? Yes. If they were sick? Mm. Oh yes, very much so. Because you know, in the Highlands of Scotland, you, even to this day, uh, well, of course, you know, it's a new generation, but I'm talking about my generation. Mm-hmm. We, it's never, or my parents' generation, uh, was never heard of that you put your family, you know, your granny or their, your, their mother or father into a nursing home. You didn't right. have a nursing home anyway. And so they, everybody was cared for at home. And, and don't forget, you know, we, we still do this too. You know, medical, the doctors do home visits. That still goes on in the United Kingdom today. It's a huge part of, um, of uh, you know, getting well. You, know, you don't go into an office and wait there for hours like you do in this country. That's right. That's a little bit changed now with the COVID, mind you. I think that was one of the good things, if we could call it a good thing, that you're no longer going into a doctor's office and waiting there where there's probably 10 people with the same appointment. You know, now you have to wait in your car and then they call you when it's ready to go and you're in and out. And that's that's, how it's- that's right. It's actually faster now. I notice when I go over to my doctor, I'm like, I'm in and out. Yeah, which is how, and that's how it is in, in you know, the, I'm talking about the Highlands of Scotland. Mm. So doctors still do home visits. You know, they'll see patients in the morning and, uh, the, the doctor who's doing, we call it surgery, which is consultation, you know, the doctor that would be seeing patients in the morning in the office mm-hmm. and that will be going out on home visits and they take turns. And of course they have nurses also uh, affiliated with the doctor's practices so that they go and do the, you know, the babies and do all, it's a, it's a very good system actually. It's, um, we don't get home visits here unless you pay for it. That's right. You know? And, uh, well, anyway, I, I, I miss that. But even when I was in, um, you know, I did Doctors Without Borders. I did that in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the doctors, uh, well, this particular doctor, he went and did home visits in the small town in Mexico. So, you know, it still, still happens, but not in this country. They don't do it. At what point did you switch to um, holistic medicine? Well, I've always been holistic. I've got two children of my own and I've, I've never been involved with chemicals. You know, I've got, uh, I mean, I'm getting a wee bit fat now, unfortunately, but I mean, I'm very sensitive to, I call them chemicals. I'm sensitive to drugs. So mm. uh, I don't take any, well, I take maybe a Tylenol for a headache, but I'm not a girl who takes drugs. And I think the problem is that uh, we've been almost brainwashed that, you know, when you go to the doctor, they write a prescription and you know, like take this, take that. Nobody questions it. And it's all sorts of side effects. So in my, again, being brought up in um, a very, you know, sort of more natural environment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my, we didn't run to the doctor every five minutes. And if you had anything wrong, you got all sorts of, you know, kind of healing ointments put on. Uh, like, you know, I remember, remember when I fell, uh, and I cut my uh, knee with some glass and, you know, it was my granny that attended to it, you know, and it wasn't rushed to an emergency. We didn't have an emergency anyway. It was miles away. And right. it was granny who attended to it, you know, took the dirt out and, you know, bandaged it up with all sorts of natural things. So I think I've always been very natural. No, I don't think I have always been very natural. And so, but 
when I started practicing, the difference is that you, in this country, they, you have to have some credibility. So just saying that you're holistic because you believe in more natural type of remedies. Right. You know, the medical profession, they don't like that. They think you're a quack. And so it's very important to, if you're going to, uh, you know, call yourself holistic or natural, that you have some sort of credentials to back it up. Mm-hmm. So I um, uh, went to London, to the homeopathic hospital in London, and um, mm-hmm. the Royal Homeopathic Hospital, because it's affiliated with the, the Queen Mother was a big, um, you know, uh, homeopathic uh, person. She And she lived until she was, what, 100 and something? Or 100? Mm. So um, anyway, uh, I went there and I studied there. And then I also did other courses, but they were all in the United Kingdom. Because homeopathic medicine started in Germany. Mm -hmm. It's very natural and normal for, you know, an individual to have an allopathic doctor, you know, a family doctor as well as a homeopathic doctor mm-hmm. you know they, and they work together which is very important so there's different medicines that you prescribe as like uh, if you if somebody has high blood pressure what would you recommend to them to take if they have high blood pressure as opposed to taking that pill that they give to you the regular well, doctors well okay so here's the thing about homeopathic medicine it's not sort of one remedy cures all I mean, we know in, um, you know, in, in, uh, in, in med, you know, what I call them chemicals, but, you know, in, in the medicine that's prescribed normally for high blood pressure. Right. Uh, you know, you get a list of all the things that, you know, that you take this at a certain time and you take it, you know, then you get your blood tested and what have you. In homeopathic medicine, you have to take the history of the, of the patient really well. I mean, the doctor's... So I'm not slamming doctors because I love doctors. I love medicine. Sure. Uh, so this is not anti. Uh, it's just that I think that people are not taking the time to understand the patient. That's what I'm really getting at. In homeopathic medicine, you can't just walk in and say, oh, you've got high blood pressure. All right, take this, take that. It probably takes a good death, well, from my point of view, because I'm quite thorough, it would take me 45 minutes to an hour with each patient. Right. To understand, you know, uh, not just they have high blood pressure. Why do they have high blood pressure? You know, is there some times in the day that it's worse? Is it blah, blah, blah. You, you go into an awful lot of things, which doctors don't do that. You, you get like a three-minute appointment in, out, in, out. That's right. right. So we have um, in... Um, there's a, uh, well, he's dead now, sadly, but his name was Edward Bach, B-A-C-H. Mm-hmm. And he's a medical doctor in London and in, in the 18th century, actually. And uh, he was fed up of his colleagues not uh, identifying certain patterns with patients who were not getting better. But we're right. talking about And so he decided to look at plants and he's hailed as you know i don't know if you've heard of it but bac back remedy mm-hmm. and they're all plant he did them he did it himself and he i think it was about 26 
different types of plants that he actually researched in his own garden. And I'm pretty sure it's about 26 or so different personalities. If you look at somebody, see now today, because I've been doing it for so many years, mm -hmm. I can actually look at, once I speak, probably to you as well, but we won't do it now. Once <laughs> I speak to you a little bit and ask you a few questions, I could probably pinpoint your personality. So if I understand who you are, then I can treat you better. And you'll get, you'll have more benefit of uh, healing, despite if it's natural or chemical. But if you don't know the patient, uh, and you just shove something, you know, take this, take that. Right. Not good medicine. It really isn't. So that's why I love natural homeopathic type medicine because I really understand the patient. Mm. I understand the the remedy that I give for that. And again, remedies don't. Uh, sometimes they don't act. You know, over like in a couple of like you take a Tylenol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And probably within about maybe 15 minutes or so, your headache's probably going to, to be okay. Right. Home medicine doesn't work that way. You know, you have to sort of do a, kind of a little bit more accumulation. But for emergency situations, it does work very quickly. Mm. There's a, a, there's a back, Edward Back did a, a remedy. It's called Rescue Remedy. Mm -hmm. In Rescue Remedy, uh, there's five plants and you know I've seen that work really most efficiently and there's another one so if you're in shock like we have five dogs so I'm always giving them rescue remedy they've come mm -hmm. out with for pets now but wow. um, you, you don't you can just give them this natural one I give but mm -hmm. for example when you're going through um I agree. If you lose a pet, which is, oh God, it's just, oh God. <laughs> but if you lose anything that you love, um, yeah. but there's a remedy called Ignatia, which is I-G-N-A-T-I-A, -A, Ignatia. Mm -hmm. And if you give that remedy, uh, when, you know, you have that terrible feeling of, you know, well, first of all, you know, there's the five stages of breathing. Well, yes. But in the initial, it's you're in shock. And you denial and then you all the other things but if you give ignatia that you can't believe how that helps the individual i've seen it firsthand really I, yeah when my my um, my parents died you know i i did i took it and it's not that it cures your grief by the way because you're going to be sad but it just helps you cope a wee bit better wow so it's like a natural calming yes remedy the plant's Ignatia, it's, a, it's another name to it, it's Latin, sorry, I can't remember. But um, it's, and if you look at plants, so I'll tell you as an example, I'm a pulsatilla. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm quite sensitive, I mm -hmm. can cry. And my way of reducing stress is to cry. I don't need to take pills, I just have a good ball. Right. And, and then once I cry, I feel a bit better. But if you look at the, and I'm quite sensitive, and, and so if you look at the plant, pulsatilla, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful plant, it opens, it's got a nice bloom, but if you touch it, and it doesn't want you to touch it because you know it's maybe upset, it will close up immediately. Really? And that's what pulsatillas do. You know, when I'm upset, I, I go off, you know, on my own. Yeah. I don't want anybody I don't want people fussing me yes leave me alone that's what the plant does so 
That's why I respond very well. And I've got a dog that gives positive to it. She's like me. Uh, she's very sensitive. <laughs> Well, you have, uh, I love that so much. I was just watching a program about how plants are alive and how they, they have feelings. Oh, they do have feelings. I love it. Yeah, no, they, there's lots of studies about that too. No, I, I am, I love, we have a few in our garden here and, and uh, I, I just love, I love plants. You know, don't forget that years ago uh, when you studied, when one studied medicine, uh, where did you get your, um, lectures in pharmacology wasn't from you know a pharmacist and um, you went to the botanical gardens right botanists would take you through the plants and that's how you were taught how plants healed and they do heal you know what about foxgloves that's digitalis you know for your heart right you know, so i i'm very well i'm much into that very much. I like that very much. I, I like you even more now. There are several holistic remedies that can be beneficial for stress and anxiety, and specifically in the grieving process, as Dr. Mills mentioned. One of them is Agnesia Amira, and the company is Byron, B-O-I-R-O-N. Please always contact your homeopathic practitioner or medical physician before consumption. <laughs> I liked you from the very beginning. Now I love you. I'm just, I want to talk about your animals. So you have Michelle, Gracie, Lady, Bella, and Lola. How mm -hmm. is it having five animals, having five dogs? What kind of dogs are they? Are they all the same breed? They're English setters, except for Gracie. She's a Maltese lasso apso. Mm. Um, that's a mix. And a, a friend um, gave uh, Gracie to me when I was going through a very, you know, bad grieving time in my life. And I tell you, she saved my life. She's, she's almost 17. Oh so it's been over 17 years ago when this happened. And um, I'm telling you, she, she saved my life. I mean, I, without Gracie, I, not that I would have done anything. I'm not, I, I like myself too much. Sure, sure. I understand what you mean. <laughs> we understand. I was very sad and I, I never thought I could, you know, face anything, but you know, she, she's been amazing and she's 17 now and well, no, she's not, she's 17 in, in October and uh, yeah. she's quite fragile, but you know, she's still, she's still going. Okay. The Maltese's live a pretty long time. I, my cousin has one and she's seven, he's 17 as well. So Maltese yeah. has a nice lifespan. Yeah, they do. But you know, I, I think to myself, oh my God, you know, what would I do if anything happened to her? I mean, it's inevitable, it will, but uh, anyway, we don't need to worry about it at the moment. She's still with us. Uh, let's talk about your uh, charity save, please. Um, how did it begin? And uh, how, what do you feel? This is, a, this is your charity and you help homeless animals. You well, actually, uh, yes, I do, but how it's, it, the, the charity is save um save what's a small animal in that sab uh small animal veterinary endowment is mm -hmm. what it actually uh means so in uh, around 1841 i think it was mm -hmm. um one of three female um girls in veterinary school at corn cornell cornell um uh, there was only three ladies, and one of them was a lady called Cornelius James. So she was a uh, little before her time, 
Anyway, she practiced veterinary medicine in Princeton in New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, she left, uh, she left some money uh, so that if anything happened to her, that we could carry on, you know, with her love of saving animals, of which is, which is what she, which is what she did. Right. And so how it started, and of course it was quite a debilitated building. And then fast forward a number of years, well, quite a few years, um, they, my husband uh, came along and he actually bought a beautiful big mansion house, which was in need of repair also. It's called the Van Zandt House. And uh, he bought that and he donated it to save. And then we started um, fundraising, you know, to renovate the house as well as add on new shelters for the animals, which is mostly cats and dogs. Mm. And it's beautiful, it's state of the art. I mean, there, there's nothing like a loving home for a pet, nothing. But at least they're safe and they're cared for and they're loved and they've got lots of amazing volunteers that come on a daily basis and they walk them and they play with them and, until we can adopt them. And we, we're very uh, fortunate that we are able to adopt the majority of them out. But it's a no-kill shelter. We don't kill any. Good. You know, I mean, I think the latest statistics that I saw was something like over 3 million dogs and cats are killed every year, every year, because um, they, there's not enough shelters for them. There's not enough adoptive parents, foster parents, whatever you want to call them. And so they can't, you know, take care of them, so they kill them, which is really sad. But we don't do that safe. We don't. We keep them, and we and some of them come in in not the best shape, right? Because they've been abandoned, and people don't care. And I just don't understand that. Um, but it's a fact of life. So uh, we do at safe. We try and do a lot of education programs, you know, to the schools. Mm-hmm. You know, try and introduce the the animal, uh, the caring of animals, how important it is. Because, you know, animals save lives. Yes. So it, that, that's how SAVE started. And then we just continued uh, along with other, many other people to raise money. But it's difficult. All charities are having difficulty, you know, getting money. Right. Um, be passionate about it. So I uh, decided, well, what could I do that maybe would be different? Uh, so that's why I decided to do my book, you know, the book I did, uh, Entertaining with Four Paws. Yes, yes. We're gonna, mm. We have five now, but <laughs> the time I- We're going to get into that uh, because this book is amazing and it talks about entertaining as well, which I love. You know, you're just, you're the jack of all trades. You do it all. Um, <laughs> If we can just go back to the animals, because uh, I believe that it's important for the listeners to understand, what are the conditions when these animals come in? What do these people do to, to them? Well, the, oh my golly, <laughs> some people are, they just dump them, you know, they, they just throw them in a bag and throw them out of a car. And then some, you know, nice person comes along and finds them and, you know, takes them and if we can save them, I mean, sometimes some animals are dead before we can do right. anything suffocated and um, some some people are they have an animal and they they just don't take care of it so the the animal is in really bad shape nutritionally like they don't get fed and um, or they get beaten up 
you know, a lot of people, you know, really hit them. Uh, they hurt them. We have a dog, our dog lady. Mm-hmm. She was badly uh, abused. I, I can't even begin to think what was done to her. Wow. But uh, she was very badly abused. And she came from supposedly a reputable breeder. Um, and, you know, I, anyway, it's, um, it's another story. But, she, but we took her. She was 11 months. But she is just now, she's now uh, four. I think she's four and a half. And she's now just starting to trust. But, you know, once an animal's been beaten up like that, they're very frightened of everything. So, you know, she's a loner. She, she goes off on her own and she's scared at noises. And it's very sad. I wanted to ask you, um, why do you think people abuse animals? What do you think is going on in their head? Is it control? I think sometimes it's control. And sometimes, you know, we have a lot of, uh, you know, very strange, sick, people out in our society today mm-hmm. and it's almost like um they don't feel that animals have any feelings and so they just give them a wallet or hurt them or kick them i mean i've seen people kick animals and i i tell you i took i took up a stick one time i saw that happening <laughs> i think we shouldn't say this i'm not violent by the way no it's okay yeah if you're going to hit an animal so i I took, uh, I found a, a, a stick and I just walloped the person. Good, you know, good. I give <laughs> you know, but the thing is that um, there's a lot of, I, I don't understand. It's the same with children. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of children badly abused. In my day, I, this is years ago. I mean, it makes me sick even thinking about it. But yeah. they do it. And they used to burn the little feet of these babies with, cigarettes and you think well what is what why would you do that to a child and yeah i think a lot is to do with control but a lot to do with there's a lot of sick nasty people there's a lot of beautiful people but there's there's a segment of really horrors out there anyway i i have a solution for people who do that i think they need to boot camp you know they have a lot of anger inside of them that they yeah they need to let out yeah, but it's apparently, you know, a friend of mine just rescued a dog in Philadelphia, and that poor little dog was dumped in a dumpster. I mean, just a teeny weeny dog. And, you know, somebody found it, and, and anyway, she adopted it. But, oh, the poor little thing, you know, it was, oh, my golly. It's, it's unbelievable. And anyway, she's nursed, nursed her. It's a wee girl, and she nursed her back to health. But there's... There's hundreds, thousands, millions of them all over the world that just get dumped. It's really sad. It really is sad. I saw the other day a beautiful German shepherd, five years old, just developed allergies. And they let go of the animal. They were going to take the animal over to a no-kill. So Zanis, uh, another uh, shelter that we know, um, went you know, and, and took the, the dog in because they were no-kill as well. So I think it's well, very... Mm. It's, you know, sometimes too, uh, there, there's sometimes older people that have pets. And I think this is also so, so sad because the person has to go into a nursing home because nobody's yeah. there. And the nursing home won't allow their dog to go in. That would be one thing that I would like to work on. You know, I don't see any reason they can't. But, if, you know, I know there's other factors involved. But, but the point is that, you know, you go into these nursing homes and that's really the end of you. And yeah. you can animal with you so they have to give the animal up and, right uh, you know and that's sad for the poor animal because 
there's separation anxiety that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's, it's just, I mean, I can't, oh God, I couldn't, I can't bear to be without our dogs. You know, they're my comfort. <laughs> of course. Of course, I want to get over to um, the pets in hospital. We're going to get over to that in a little bit. But I want to just ask you, uh, what would you tell somebody who is thinking of abandoning their animal? Well, if they're abandoning it because they decided they didn't want it anymore, uh, I think that's disgraceful. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I mean, I have to be, you know, nice, I suppose. I would say that they need to take it to uh, they need to take their little baby to a, a proper no kill shelter mm-hmm. so that, that little dog or big dog has the chance of I guess another chance in life yeah um, but definitely to not to dump it and leave it just you know you know when we had the COVID thing in the in the beginning people were throwing their animals out because they were saying it was transferring the infection you know I would never do that I'll just take my chances that's but, right yeah so so they had they had a lot of abandoned animals just roaming around you can't imagine your poor little thing anyway i would really strongly say to find a no-kill shelter and, and take the you know the animal to to that to that into to that place so that they can get another chance yeah we're going to put up your address for save um where are you located where is the facility located it, Skillman, S-K-I-L-L, Skillman, New Jersey. Jersey, okay. Yes, so it's Save Skillman, New Jersey. Um, uh, is that all you need? Or do you need any? Yeah, I'm going to put everything up for you on my website. Uh, so if you guys are looking, if anybody's looking to uh, rescue a beautiful animal, uh, please head over to uh, the Mills's place and I'll put everything up. So thank you so much for that. Let's talk about your book, Home in Princeton, Entertaining with Four Paws, but now you have five. <laughs> That's so great. When did, you, when did you decide to write this book and why? Well, it's a couple of years ago. So I decided to write, well, I'm quite good at writing, though I say it myself, because I used to write a lot as a child. English has always been my favorite you know, subject. But also I used to write for medical magazines way back in the day. And so I enjoy writing, but I've never written a book like this, I have to say. But I was thinking, what could I do to um, make a difference or, you know, help make a difference in, in getting some more money for uh, fundraising? And because I'm, I do a lot of entertaining, well, yeah. I did do a lot of entertaining. We sort of curbed that a little bit now. Yeah. And given some amazing parties, which to me, you know, where it's just something I'm very good at is giving parties and I'm quite creative. So uh, one of the, the photographer who did my, uh, you know, the photographs, her and her daughter, mm-hmm. they did all the photography in the book. Um, they, uh, she actually, she suggested that, you know, why don't you do a book with your parties? Because, you know, people would come and they would be, you know, overwhelmed at my parties which I thought were very nice but I didn't think it was that great but mm-hmm. they seen parties like that before so I went oh maybe that's an idea and we had all the pictures right so mm-hmm. put five parties into the book and the idea was to stimulate uh maybe the old way of entertaining where you have people around you know what happens now uh well not now but before 
when we get invited for dinner, people didn't invite us to their homes. They met us at a restaurant. I can't believe it because people don't cook anymore. That's right. And, and so the art of entertaining, the way that I was brought up, is actually dying. And I thought, oh my golly. So I decided I should try and bring it back, you know, stimulate the excitement of having people around and having a nice time and, you know, and I love it. I love, love, love it. It's, it comes naturally to me. So you must miss it throughout this whole pandemic. How, how many parties would you have like in a month entertaining? Oh, oh my golly. Well, we had a house down in South Carolina whereby, you know, uh, my husband uh, would invite lots and lots of his friends down there. Well, my friends too, but mostly his. Yeah. I can inherit them. Um, and, uh, and so they would stay with us. So it was like a hotel. So in, from January to March, we'd have like 26 guests. Wow. You know, you know four coming, you know, for they would come for um three two days uh three nights two days or whatever it was and so i you know i had the housekeeper too you know who helped me but i mean all the meals were done by me and you know all the table creations and you know in the bedrooms were all that was quite a quite a task like a hotel tell us what it takes to entertain for a sunday brunch you know, for me, I have to tell you, it's, it's, it's a doddle. I mean, that means, a doddle means it's just, I, I don't find it, I don't get stressed with, in any way of cooking. If I invite you or anybody around for uh, brunch or dinner or anything, I've already decided my menu. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I also make menus as well. You know, yes, you have recipes in the book. Yeah, and, I, and so I... Um, so I've already decided on what I'm going to make. And it's usually something that, you know, I mean, I, I, I've done so much cooking in my life that I don't find it, I don't find it stressful. Right. And what happens to me, um, excuse me, what happened to me um, recently is that when I was feeling a bit sad or stressed, you know, I get up and I start cooking, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that, that relaxed me. So a housekeeper would come in the morning and, she said, what were you doing? I said, oh, I was cooking eggs. Well, nobody's eating them, so they kind of get thrown out. But at least it was a, a stress release. Yes. So Why do you think it's essential to have your guests taken care of and comfortable when they come into your home? Well, again, that comes from my childhood. My mother always uh, taught me that, you know, when you invite somebody into your home, you invite them because, you know, it's, it's a sort of, it's a way of showing care and love, you know, and... I mean, in Scotland, we, we're kind of different in Highlands, you know, but in Scotland, we have a saying that there's no such thing as strangers, only friends we have yet to meet. Right. Uh, so our whole philosophy is very much about, you know, making you feel welcome yeah. and, uh, you know, cared for. And so it's just sort of, you know, if you come to me for dinner, I think that you certainly would feel that, you know, you're, you're um, important. It's, imp- it's also, it's important to make the person feel that they're wanted, you know, and that it's, this is, so, you know, it's kind of this, because I love it, I think it does spread on to the other people. I mean, when I give parties, everybody goes away with a gift. And that's, again, my mother, my mother used to do that all the time. You know, maybe she, she might make a cake for everybody or she, 
might give somebody, you know, the ladies got a beautiful flower or they got some perfume or, you know, something that she, um, you know, did herself. But that, so I sort of inherit, I, I was brought up like that. I love nothing better than having some really nice friends, you know, around the table and having a lively discussion. You know, yeah. I, I like discussions. I like, you know, debating and finding out what's what because everybody has a different opinion, you know, and I, I like to see how the other man thinks. Where can people purchase this book? You can purchase At Home in Princeton, The Art of Entertaining with Four Paws at www.patientpreferredphysician.com. Please click in the media tab. A percentage of the proceeds goes to save a nonprofit, no-kill animal shelter. Well, right now, so we're trying to set up, I'm not, I told you I'm not technical, so I don't know how to set up a, a web page thing. And I do have some people that are have offered to do it, but I've been a wee bit busy and, you know, my book is sort of being put in the back burner because, I mean, it's difficult to, I was going to be doing more talk shows like you yes. and you know, more um, uh, signing, you no know, book signing yes. and that all scheduled and they all had to be cancelled because you can't do it right now. And um, so at the moment, probably the best place is through me, um, uh, but it will go on, we're going to put it on Amazon. Sure. But it's not there right now, but it will go on Amazon. And I did have, a, a, I was hoping to get it into Barnes and Noble, mm -hmm. but you know, the lady that I connected with, it was pre-COVID. Uh, well, I can't do it right now. You know, they're not doing anything at the moment with new authors. And um, so I have to wait. So probably the best is through me, you know, probably through my, you know, email would be the best way. You know? <laughs> that fly loves you, Dr. Mills. <laughs> It's a sign. <laughs> a sign. Golly. So, um, okay. So, perhaps on a website, will you put it on a web? Do you have a website that you can put it on? Oh, it could go on Save's website. Save's yes. website. Okay. Yeah. What am I thinking? Yeah, it can go on Save's website. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, also, I think it's on the website of um, uh, the, you know, um, um, what's it? Uh, preferred Health. Magazine. It's on Preferred Health. Okay, so have everybody head over to Preferred Health magazine, and you can get the book there. You could purchase the book yeah. there. Great. Yeah, it, do you plan on per on writing another book? Yes. Well, uh, I had one thing that I had a couple of things that I was working on, and now to focus on it. One was introducing, you know, your own beloved pet into the hospital environment if god forbid you get sick yeah uh, i know we have therapy dogs which you know are marvelous and amazing but i had um, met with the ceo barry ravner at penn medicine and again before COVID, and uh, convinced him that we should you know try uh, you know do some something about bringing your own animals particularly dogs at this time um, into the hospital and he was working on that and thought it was a very good idea. So we were going to do a big, um, you know, project. I did a photo shoot and I sent you some pictures. Um, we did a photo shoot at the hospital. Mm -hmm. I took one of our dogs, Bella, and um, she was definitely the Bella of the ball. You know, people just adored her. Oh. Of course, you know, the wonderful thing about Penn Medicine is that it's all private rooms. 
right. you know, I, I suppose, you know, I'm old fashioned, you know, we don't all have, in Scotland, you know, we're not all private rooms, you know, we're still Florence Nightingale. Right. You know? <laughs> so it would be pretty difficult to get your dog in there. But in this country, you're quite fancy and um, they have, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, private rooms. So I think the plan was that you would, you couldn't just walk in with your dog. You'd have to pre-arrange it, you know, with the staff. Right. I'd like to take, you know, the dog in from X hour to X hour. And I think as long as it's pre-arranged, it, it wasn't going to be a problem. And of course, you know, if you're, you wouldn't take your dog in if it had any infection. I mean, somebody said to me recently, oh my God, you know, sometimes dogs are dirty. I said, have you ever seen people? People yeah. are, you know, I would rather have a dog than some people I've seen walking around. That's right. That's right. So, so dogs, you know, dogs don't bring in germs. People bring in germs. How do you I mean, think that would be for the healing process for the patient? Oh my golly, that would be that we already have so many studies on how dogs heal and comfort. And particularly during this COVID-19 where, you know, people are locked in, there's nothing nicer than having the comfort of a, you know, an animal that has unconditional love for you. I mean, it brings a lot of comfort. Well, you know, studies have shown that your blood pressure is decreased. You know, your breathing is, is you know, more calm. I mean, you're just altogether a happier individual when you see your own baby. I mean, yeah. the, the, that you get from from a, a, an animal is, is quite incredible, you know. I mean, there's so many studies out there that shows, um, that's why my, my sort of uh, other little, offset of save was because remember the save save was is not my charity it's it was started with um what's her name cornelius uh, james and so it's a it's a non-profit organization right but the, i did that i sort of did an offshoot because i was uh, when i was thinking of the second book i was thinking about the importance of animals and how they heal you and what they do and mm -hmm. um, example uh you know look at autistic children you know they're finding that autistic children are are their behavioral you know traits are improved when they have an animal they you know they read there there's a school that they're bringing uh some animals into uh, dogs into and the child reads to the dog so great and, yeah you know and all the other things that go along with it um so yes uh so yes yeah, so that's what it's saved Save a dog, save a life. That's what I'm all about. Absolute. I, I love when my dentist actually lets me bring my own dog in because I'm petrified of the dentist. That's the one thing I don't like. Uh, so the dog is able to sit on my lap. I wish more people would do that, you know? At the, well, that's uh, fantastic. I love that. Yeah, see, no, I would take, I mean, I just, I love that. I, I need to, you know, it's just, yeah, there's such a comfort. Well, of course, you know, a lot of people, I mean, if you go back in history, not that long ago, by the way, look how many people who were locked in and couldn't travel because, you know, they, they couldn't see, you know, they're, uh, they're blind. Now yeah. look at people who are blind. You see them walking in airports, you know, with their service dog. Yes. They're out and about, they're traveling, you know, they're enjoying life. And so that's what animals do. The power of healing is, is, is indescribable. And why people would be so cruel you know we can train dogs 
did you see that recently actually i was quite excited about um they're training uh they're just starting uh, trials on training dogs to sniff out covid19 oh really yeah that just i because i'm very on top of what's happening in the animal world and and in um uh, i have a friend who works in india and they're starting well they've been doing it for a while but there's dogs that are starting to sniff out malaria so can you imagine you know getting that uh in a in a child you know i mean you save like save a dog save a life right so, you know well, stop dogs can actually uh sniff out cancer yeah sniff out cancer mm -hmm. and you know of course you know uh with uh, people who are diabetic you know they can uh they can actually uh let the patient know that they're going into a hypoglycemic coma before they even get there wow they're training there's so much they do so many wonderful things i mean we need to really treasure them yeah. and really take care of them and not hurt them and i think that uh these puppy mills should be absolutely i mean they need all to be closed down it's getting worse and worse particularly now People want more money, so they just breed them. Oh, it's disgusting. Oh, God. Isn't it? Can you, can you define what a puppy mill is and what they do there? A puppy mill is a, a place which is usually filthy, disgusting, the ones I've seen, um, whereby they'll get, you know, some female dogs. Uh, well, you know, sometimes they only have one or two female dogs, and they will breed that dog, you know, to, till it dies. And there's, they can't breed it anymore. And they, they just... They, the, the poor dog, you know, might have five or six or seven puppies, and then they they wean them at six weeks, which they shouldn't do. And there's people out there want, waiting for them and buying them. They're in filthy conditions, and the people who are breeding don't care about the the um, the dog. They don't care about any of the dogs. They just care about money. Make you know, some of those dogs are fetching you know fifteen hundred, two thousand, twenty five hundred dog yeah. dollars per dog. And so when the the dog can no longer breathe, they just they just let it die. I mean, there's just so many horrible things. But puppy mills should not be allowed at all. And if they do find them, they usually just slap the person in the wrist and say, "Oh, you can't have another, can't breed dogs or be near a dog for six months or a year." Well, they don't care. They're just going to do it all over again. And stupid people buy them. That's you know, right. but those are very. My friend actually. Uh, in she's in where is she somewhere in the states. Uh, she they uh, puppy mill just got um, closed down, mm -hmm. uh, and the woman was breeding dogs. And oh my god, the conditions were atrocious. And they took most of the dogs. Some of them were dead already, just lying oh there. Oh my god! The ones that were alive, they took them into um, a shelter, and then you know they cleaned them all up and gave them vaccinations and. Um, they uh, adopted them out and my friend took uh, one she calls her Gigi and um, Gigi says she can't walk because you know there's too much breeding right and uh, just so the poor little thing's got congenital problems it's got you know physical problems but she this little dog can't go upstairs you know it's just that's what they do they don't care they really don't care I tell you I, I, I should one of the things I thought, whoever's the next president, I'd like to meet with him or her and say, look, do something about the animal. Yeah, of course. They get so many other things, I guess.
How can you spot out a puppy mill? Do you think that they charge they charge pretty cheap, right? For for a dog, like seven fifty? Yes, some of them do. Some of them are charging twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars. Um, how how did, did you say how do you spot a puppy mill? Yes, yes. Uh, it, well, it's difficult because you know these people are fly. You know they do it. Uh, they hide these uh, sort of. They have maybe a shed, right? And they shove all the the, the dogs or the dog and the male dog. Well, after the breed, I, think, I don't know what they do with the male dog, but they um they have them in sheds, and it's difficult to know. Um, usually it's word of mouth. Somebody might, you know, hear them barking or something, and they might tell the authorities, you know, the animal inspector. And then they also have animal inspectors that they don't have enough, but they have them people that actually go around and they look for, you know, uh, dodgy places that might have these puppy mills. But a lot of them are very sneaky. You know, you yeah. don't, you don't, you don't, they're not sort of out in the open because, you know, they don't want you, they don't want to be caught, right? Because it's their money making. That's and right. then you've got, you've got idiots who do breeding in their home and the home is filthy, you know, it should be condemned. But some of the animals are in very, very poor shape, you know, and they die because, you know, that's their, their uh, whole, I mean, if you're going to breed, you know, do it properly, but they don't know it. They don't have a clue. Yeah. So I, they, mm. I would like to get more involved with, you know, I, I would, um, I mean, apart from shutting them down, you know, I don't know, they need to be punished, but they don't get punished, you see. The animals are punished for what reason? But that's right. Punished at all. And, and some of the oh, times they're breeding brothers and sisters. Is that right? Oh, like an inbreed? Yeah, the inbreed, congenital. Yeah, and you get all sorts of congenital deformities. But I think if if somebody sees anything like that, they need to report it and, you know, get something done because of it. There's, there's no need for anybody, anybody to suffer in this world today. No. And particularly a, a, an animal who has no voice. Somebody has to be the voice for an animal. Okay? Right. If I, we have a big property here, but you know, if I had my way, I would, I would have just hundreds of dogs and they'd all be sleeping with me. To research your breeder, please head over to www.thepuppymillproject.org, ending puppy mill cruelty through education, outreach, and advocacy. He'd come home at night, so word, word of line, my mother would say, well, how did it go? And my father would say, it didn't it go Shona didn't like him, so we didn't do business. And he, that's what he did. If the dog didn't like the person, that was the end of it. That's was, right. Yeah, you know, and he always taught me. He said, you know, if you meet somebody and you have an, a dog and the dog doesn't like them and they're sort of behaving funny around them, keep away from that person. It's so true. Yes. Yeah, so I always judge people about how they, they behave with the dogs. That's but, right people here that you know I not not guests but you know workmen that have come and you know Bella went totally bananas which is not her character right oh there's something funny about you you know so I I just uh, said okay he's not coming back here That's I mean right. he, I don't know I just didn't trust him anyway but Bella didn't like him so that was enough for me <laughs> they're very intuitive um yeah, animals are the best. And I always say, you know, there's no bad dogs. There's only bad owners, you know, and. Uh, I know, I agree with that. It's like, you know, 
the, you know, the dogs, the pit bulls and that other breed, they get such a bad name. You know, know. they're really not bad dogs. It's, it's, it's like a child, you know, a child doesn't come out of the womb, you know, rotten as a murderer or a, a thief or, you know, a rapist. Yeah. And, and the dog doesn't either. It's the people around them that make them into that. That's the saddest thing about life. And it's just, and it's just going to go on because nobody's going to stop it. But no, I don't, I feel sorry for some of those, you know, poor breeds there. I worked in Bermuda for a while and, and uh, I did not like it, by the way, but that's another story. But anyway, uh, there was this, these people, you know, that had um, dogs and they, they did dog fighting. Oh, and please. Oh, God. That is a, that's something that's, that, that happens all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I was just, oh my God, I was brokenhearted. Unfortunately, the, my friends at the time were all the detectives, you know, they were coming over from the UK yeah. to teach the Bermudian police how to do finger, this is a long time ago, how to do fingerprints and forensic analysis and stuff like that. So fortunately for me, you know, most of them were, all of my friends were cops at the time or doctors. And I said, oh, well, you have to do something about it, you know, and they, they were on to them, but it was, and they did shut down quite a few places, but that's just how people were, you know, they don't care. It's just horrible, nasty. It's, it's so sad. What do you want your legacy to be, Dr. Mills? Mm, what would I like? I would like to be remembered for being a compassionate, uh, loving, individual that did the best she could do um i would like to get rid of puppy mills yeah <laughs> i see some legislation for people that uh, are cruel to animals to stop the cruelty to animals i would like to see some proper legislation brought in and they they are really not just punished by a fine but they either have to go and work in an animal shelter you know or or they go to boot camp you know yeah i don't old you are but you need to something has something like that to be done you know because otherwise it just won't stop and you've got to stop it somehow and you know some people you know they, they don't observe authority anymore um they just do what they want to do they need to have a good army sergeant you know uh, in boot camp and whip them into shape and so that they you know understand they that they shouldn't that cruelty is just it's, it's not it's not acceptable in any form, by the way. Um, well, I was going to say something to you, and I got thinking. Um, the uh, no, I, I, oh yes. So when I was growing up, you know, um, my my granny uh, said to me, I always remember this. She said, uh, "It's my job," she said, "to bring you up to be a nice girl that everybody loves." I hope that you know, I, I, whatever I've done in life, and I have done a lot of things in life, and. I've certainly changed a few people. You know, I've, I've saved some lives, which is not to be, you know, um, I mean, yeah, you'd sort of do it anyway. But when you think back, you think, wow, you know, I actually saved that life. And, and you know, I've done some, you know, things that I think um, is nice. And they've got hopefully a few more things to do. Yes, yes, you do, because we need you around to save animals and just to be the wonderful person that you are. So I want to thank you so much for being on this show and making a difference in this world, Dr. Mills. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you.
If you have a vegan product, make your vegan claim official with the only accredited vegan trademark in the world. Visit www.beveg.com. That's www.beveg.com to apply now. Making a Difference is sponsored by Preferred Health Magazine. Please visit www.preferredhealthmagazine.com today and subscribe.